So this morning we're carrying on a wholehearted living series. And this wholehearted series is based on some research done by a doctor called Renee Brown. And she interviewed thousands and thousands of people and got them to tell their story. And she found there was a whole bunch of people who she called the wholehearted. They were um, compassionate to themselves. They liked themselves. They were creative. They let go of comparison. Um, They knew how to play. They knew how to rest. And uh, she realised that these people were all letting go of certain things and all cultivating certain things. And interestingly, when you come then to the Bible, you find actually wholehearted people in the scriptures were doing very much the same things too. So when I was 14, um, secondary school, I wasn't really feeling like I was super fitting in. And so I thought, I know how to fit in. I've got a plan. And it involved thinking, I know what, the best way I know how to fit in is to model myself after a pop star called George Michael. (laughs) 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 Remember George Michael? A A Greek guy, great singer with very dark hair, and he had highlights. So I thought, if I'm going to fit in at school, I need to look as much like George Michael as I possibly can. So I got my mum to do these highlights, and they actually looked okay. And I went to school, and there was a girl on the front row and said, Jamie, that looks quite good. And so I should have thought, wow, this has worked. But I came to a different conclusion. I thought, wow, if you leave the bleach on for 15 minutes and you get this kind of reaction, what, what would happen if you left it on for 30 minutes? So my conclusion was, if you double the dose of how many uh, hair that you make blonde and uh, you leave it on longer, I'm going to fit in even more. And so I said to my mum, double it. It says 15, do 30. It says this amount of hair, do double that. And afterwards, my hair... It actually looked like our rabbit. And our our, our rabbit was mottled, and it was kind of mixed between black, white, and ginger. And I came out with this kind of bizarre hairstyle, and I I thought, I need to solve this. So I put a balaclava hat on, jumped on my bike, and cycled to the chemist, and tried to buy some black hair dye. And I remember standing there in the chemist, trying, waiting for the, the dye, and this big blonde bit fell out of my balaclava, stuffed that back in, got the hair dye, and dyed it. But it really, I just, I basically really, my hair became ginger. And, uh, <laughs> and nobody said, good job, that looks good. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dyeing your hair. But the question was, why did I feel I needed to change in order to fit in? Why did I feel that really to fit in I needed to look like George Michael? Why was that my goal? And it's funny to notice that George Michael himself seemed to model himself on Lady Diana. So there's a question there we won't be asking this morning. So it's freedom to be yourself. That's what we're looking at this morning. Free to be yourself. Your, your greatest need and my greatest need is, is actually to connect and to belong. Our greatest need is to connect and belong. And that's why God gave the family of the church, that we connect and we belong to him. But we also get the gift of the church. Do you realise that the church is one of the gifts that Jesus gives us? He's building his church because we need to connect and belong. 
And to truly connect and belong, we need to be completely seen and completely known for who we truly are. Can you see that? That we, to really feel part of a family, we really need to feel, yeah, I'm connecting and belonging and I'm truly seen for who I am. That I'm not wearing masks, that I'm not pretending, I'm not performing, I'm being completely authentic and I'm being completely real. And so this morning I want to tackle the great enemy of connecting and belonging. There's there's a great enemy that stops us being truly seen and truly known. There's a great enemy that stops us truly connecting and that enemy is shame. Shame is the great enemy that stops us feeling I'm worthy to connect, I'm worthy to be seen, I'm worthy to be known. And in her research, Brené Brown just defined shame as the fear of disconnection. So we have these two things happening at the same time. We absolutely, fundamentally need to be connected and belong. Yeah? And to truly connect and belong, we really need to be truly seen and known. And shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that if people saw my imperfections, my limitations and my flaws, then I would be unworthy to connect and belong. So then what we do is, rather than let people see, we hide those things so that no one can see who we truly are. And there's a big difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is, I have done something wrong. That's guilt. Maybe I said something wrong, or maybe I didn't say what I needed to say. Maybe I did something wrong, or I didn't do what was right. And guilt is, I've made a mistake, I've done something wrong. And guilt is a really easy thing to sort of say sorry for. Sorry to someone else. You know what, I let you down. It's easy to put words to it, it's easy to express it. Um, I feel guilty because I said this, or I feel guilty because I didn't say this, or I feel guilty because I should have done this and I didn't do that. So guilt is a really easy thing to say sorry for, but shame is, I did this, now I am wrong. Can you see the difference? Guilt is, I have done something wrong. It's really easy to put words to, I have done something wrong. Shame is... I haven't lived up to the standard, whether it's to God or to one another or in your family, (coughs) now I am wrong. That's my identity. Not just I have done bad, I am bad. So sometimes we struggle to be seen and to be truly known because maybe there's something in our our past (coughs) where we feel, I didn't do what I needed to do, now my identity is, is I'm a bad person. And the Gospel answers both guilt and shame. That the cross of Christ 
deals with both our guilt, the things that we have done wrong, and our shame, I am wrong. So, with shame then, it, it, do you remember that movie Gremlins? Dude, that's going back a bit, isn't it? Those things, Mogwai and Don't Feed It After Midnight. These gremlins can be things that chatter in our heads or tapes that play in our heads. So shame tapes, I am bad, or the gremlins whisper, you are not good enough. And it will whisper different things to different people. You are not special enough, or you are not clever enough, you, you are not pretty enough, you are not thin enough, your highlights aren't blonde enough, <laughs> <laughs> you are not spiritual enough. So the, the, the message that we can think is I'm not spiritual enough to pray for the sick or to bring encouragement or prophesy, under that can be shame. I'm not good enough. My identity is I'm not good enough to contribute. And so when we have those tapes playing in our heads, what we settle for is, is just fitting in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we settle. So we've got these tapes playing, I am bad because of X, Y and Z. I need to connect and belong. And to do that, I need to be truly seen and known. But because I feel I'm bad, and if people saw me truly, then I would be disconnection. So what I need to do is act and perform and remain secretive and hidden and not truly and completely seen. And so what then happens is we wear disguises and masks and pretense and performance and acting rather than say, this is who I am, warts and all. Now... I want to say that we're not going to... This kind of honesty of who we are being completely seen and completely known is not going to be for everybody. (laughs) But we do have to have pockets of people or family or close members or a friend who we're not... There's no hiding, there's no pretense and that we're completely honest. And so for some of us where shame gets in, we can become like a chameleon. You know the chameleon, it, it changes its colour wherever it is. And so if it's on a yellow tree, it's yellow. If it's on a blue tree, it's blue. If it's on a brown tree, it's brown. It just changes to fit in. And shame will cause people to do that. That you think, right, in this environment, I need to be spiritual. So I'm going to act spiritual. Oh, in this environment, I, I, I need to be um, um, slightly louder and I need to fit in. And these people talk about this, I need to fit in. So people, when we get gripped by shame, we end up chameleon our way through the day. And that's why sometimes when we gather as Christians into small groups, maybe community groups, is all we're thinking of is, what's the right answer so no one sees that I don't really know or no one sees how flawed I feel about myself? Or in the community group, I need to be yellow. 
just give the answer it's Jesus to everything. But I'm not really going to connect to tell anybody about my unbelief, my fears and my doubts and my concerns, because all you need to do here is chameleon your way through. And so that's what shame does. And you might say, and so what? I'm getting by okay. You know, I've chameleoned my way through my life. I'm chameleoning my way through my family. I'm, I'm acting, I'm performing, I'm disguising, I'm hiding. No one really knows me anywhere. And I'm doing okay. But shame has a huge price tag to it. That shame will cause you to miss out. That shame is the greatest um, killer of creativity, innovation. Shame is the killer of risk. Shame keeps us from stepping out and praying for the sick. Because we think if it doesn't work, they're going to think I'm not spiritual enough and I'm not good enough. Not realising God is pleased with faith and God was pleased at the moment of excuse me. Heaven cheered at the moment of excuse me, can I pray for you? Heaven goes, woo, come on, that's faith. You've crossed the chicken line. You've opened up an opportunity for me to come in on the back of that. I'm pleased that excuse me, that's so liberating to know actually the rest is yours. You're the healer. So shame has a price tag. That the greatest pain, the greatest pain is to spend your life on the outside. Wondering what would have happened had I been truly seen and truly known. That's the greatest pain that a life can have. That I look back and I never was myself. I look back and I was just the chameleon in every room. I was wearing a mask. I was giving the right answers. I was fitting in. I never let anybody see who I really am. And so that book never got written. And that song never got sung. And that meal never got cooked. And that person never got invited. Because I felt shame. What if they think I'm not a good enough cook? Or I'm not a good enough host? A risk never got taken, a dream never got pursued, a thing that God had whispered to your heart never got embraced and walked in because of shame that said, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not clever enough, you're not strong enough. Who do you think you are to do that? But let me say as well that if, if your worthiness is attached to what you do and you succeed you are in even deeper trouble than the person whose worthiness was attached to an idea but never did it so say you, your dream is to achieve <laughs> X or Y or Z and you do it Now everything that shame needs <coughs> to control and hijack your life is in place. Because it whispers, if you mess this up, if you get this wrong, 
if this height you've reached, you fall down from, everyone will know you were never good enough in the first place. And everyone will know you weren't clever enough. You weren't a good enough entrepreneur. You weren't a good enough writer. Because self-worth can never be on the table of what we do. Because of the moment who you think you are, your identity, your value, your significance, your worth is on the table of how good a mum you are, how good a family you have, how good you are at your job, how, how good a church we're, we're involved in. Any time that worthiness and identity and significance gets on the table of anything, you are then in danger of having to please people, plead with people, perform with pe- for people. So, the gospel sets you free from the fear of never doing something, and it sets you free from slavery when you do achieve something, so that you don't find your identity is in it. So let's look at the Bible then, and look at how Paul, how Paul managed to find in grace an identity, how Paul managed to be really honest about who he is, and what he had done, and where he'd fallen short. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verse 10, we find an, an incredible foundation for living free of shame and living in the, in the delight of knowing that I have, a, I have an identity and a worthiness that allows me to step out in risk and make sure that my worthiness is not on the table of any achievement. So Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 15, For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Actually, you were there, Paul, saying yes to when Stephen was murdered. You threw people into prison, Paul. You went to Damascus to chuck people in jail. That's why you were going. You believed you were serving God and absolutely terrifying the church. So he says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the the church. Then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God. So Paul is saying, this is my history, this is my experience, this is me at my absolute worst. This is me at my most terrible. I thought I was serving God, but I was murdering people. And then he says, but grace, this divine empowerment from God, this message from God, this identity from God, this gift from God came to me. And it allowed me not to hide or disguise or mask my flaws, but to say, this is who I am, warts and all. Another place he says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm going to tell you the worst that I am. And he says, but grace comes alongside with a superior message, a superior declaration about who I am. I am what I am. 
by the grace of God. I no longer need to listen to the gremlins. I no longer need to listen to the shame tapes that say, you're the least of the apostles, Paul. You're a murderer, Paul. You're a persecutor, Paul. You're a failure, Paul. You thought you were pleasing God, and no, you weren't. You were opposing God. Who do you think you are to be on this apostolic mission? He says, no, I don't listen to any of that. I am what I am by the grace of God. Can you see that grace doesn't ask us to wear a mask and perform and be a chameleon and disguise? Grace says, look, this is where I've failed, Corinthians. This is where I'm limited. This is where I got it wrong. But grace is now a higher standard and makes a greater declaration of who I am. Grace says, you are completely loved, Paul, and you are completely seen, Paul, and you are completely embraced, Paul, including your imperfections, including your quirks, including the, the funny things about your personality, Paul. The grace says, you are enough. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am enough. And it's not saying, well, you'll be enough, Paul, when you've got to Spain or when you've got to Rome or when you've planted X amount of churches or when you've seen these amount of people saved and added. Right now, not if, not but, no questing for it, no working for it. This is who you are right now. This is your identity. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not striving to get something. His worthiness is not on the table, terrified that something might touch it and break it. So when he's in jail, he's able to say, you know what, I'd rather be out of these jails and with you Philippians, but I'm so grateful the gospel's moving forward. I'm so grateful that these change, chains have stirred others to be more bold with the gospel. Even when you lock Paul up, tell him he can't go out. He writes Ephesians. You can't, you can't lock him up. You can't stop him singing when he's locked up in prison because he has an identity and a worthiness that's not on the table of the apostolic mission and yet he's bold to say, I am this. But this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than everybody, yet not I, but the grace of God. So this is where freedom is for us. Sometimes people are about to step out into something and they hear a whisper and it says, who do you think you are? If anybody knew about you and where you come from, they wouldn't listen to you. And Paul says, I, I, I don't, he's not even terrified of that. He says, actually, I persecuted the church. You know who I am. You know what I got wrong. And so grace says, there's no struggle for it. There's no wrestle for it. There's no quest for it. Dear friends, do you know that right now? Amen. I am who I am by the grace of God. That it's not if I get promoted. It's not if I get noticed at work. It's not if my business goes to another height. It's not if this dream, this ministry, the singing God, if that happened, then I would, then I would know I'm worthy. It's not contingent or dependent or reliant upon anything apart from the assessment of heaven that right now, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so grace enables you to be vulnerable, authentic and real. To have people in your life who see your imperfections and see your flaws and see your limitations. 
that you have places where you're not chameleon your way through. That people can see your doubts and your concerns and your fears. That they're not hidden. That grace leads us out of the swampland of a soul called shame. My favourite TV show, or at least one of them, in my top top 40, okay, (laughs) is Bear Grylls the Island. I love episode one, where the boat arrives on this island... And these 14 ordinary men and women get dumped on this island in the mangrove swamp. And they're there thinking, it's too dark to live here, it's too damp, and there's spiders crawling everywhere, and there's no water. And they know they've got to get to the beach. And, and the great thing is, when there's the, 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 often it's the guy who wants to lead them to the beach, and, around, and then that graphic shows them going around the island and zigging, zagging. They've got to get to the beach. They've got to get out of the swamp because you can't live in the swamp. There's no fresh water in the swamp. There's no food really in the swamp. You can't build a shelter in the swamp. You'll get eaten up by insects in the swamp. You can't stay in the swamp. You've got to make your way to the beach because on the beach you can make a shelter. On the beach you can go and look for water. On the beach you can make a fire. On the beach you can begin to make a life. And God says that to us this morning. There's no life for you in the swamp of shame. There's no life for you. You can't live in the swamp of shame. The grace wants to say to you, I want to take you by the hand. I'm going to lead you to the, to the beach where you're able to say, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what grace wants to do. Grace says, don't live in the swamp. You can't live in the swamp. You've tried to survive in the swamp. You've tried to to, to make a life in the swamp. But but you've got no spiritual food in the swamp. And you're dying inside. And you're, you're masking and you're performing and you're pretending. And you're not really connecting and really belonging. No one knows you. No one speaks into you. You don't really connect and belong. You're in the swamp. And Grace says, come, I want to lead you out of the swamp. Grace is God's divine empowerment to do what you cannot do on your own. And grace gives the courage to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to be real, to be fully known. Grace gives you the power, in the right sense of the word, to let go of what people think. Now, I know that we need community and we need honest feedback and we need one another at one another. We're not an island. But there's an extreme where we're so dominated by what people think that we're never truly seen and never truly ourselves. The grace wants to come to you and say, I want you to be fully convinced about how I see you. Heaven looks on and says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I love your personality. I love it. I love your imperfections. I love your limitations. I love your quirks. I love your frailties. Heaven speaks that over us and says, I love you. I'm for you. I enjoy you. I like you. You bring pleasure to me. And then grace convinces us to say, I like that person too. I like me. I want to be me. How many of you know that you're not content to be you? 
There may be that joke about George Michael, but to some extent there's that desire of, I'm jealous about that person. I wish I was that person. If I was that person, then everything would be fine. But we can't be jealous about one aspect of a person. We have to become completely that person and abandon who we are. You have to embrace the whole of their lives. Not just be jealous about one little piece. But grace convinces us we are loved just as we are. And Grace says, you don't have to be what others want you to be. This is a story from when I was 15, choosing my options. Um, My background is my, my, my dad, his dad, his dad, really, really working class guys who made things with their hands, they built things, and, and that was really the understanding a, a man is the only route really is you're going to make stuff with your hands and I still respect and admire people who make things with their hands who fix things and make things I still think that's an amazing ability and I think it should be celebrated much more in our culture mm. I think we celebrate too much the people who make lots and lots of money and we don't celebrate people who can make things I think it's amazing mm. but I, I couldn't make things <laughs> But, but, and so, my dad did the best he could to encourage me, because his idea was, really, if you're going to make it, you're going to need to be able to fix things and make things and do practical things. And so he said something to me when I was doing my options that, I think it was meant to be encouragement, but it was the best he could say at the time was, you'll never fit into a man's world. And I think what he meant was, you'll never fit into the man's world that I understand, which is a practical dexterity with tools to make things. And to a certain extent, that was true. I was never going to fit into that mould. But how many of you know that sometimes people say things for all the best intentions and for the best reasons, but it becomes a wound in your soul? And it wasn't... People don't say it to wound your soul. I'm sure if, the, if he'd have realised this is going to wound his soul, no, none of us would have said the things that we regret. But wounds come in, don't they? And the, 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 People say sticks and stones may break your bones, but whatever words will never hurt me. But actually that's so untrue, because some of us carry, and I know myself, carry those wo- wounds and those words through decades. And so I'm carrying this, that real men make things. So I get married, and I'm thinking, real husbands fix things. Real husbands are good at DIY. So there was one time I'm trying to put a cable from this side of the door to that side, thinking, if you drill there and you go the other side, it's going to meet. But it didn't. And it went through that side and pushed a whole thing of plaster everywhere above the door. Well, how did that happen? That's quite simple, isn't it? That, that particular occasion, which is just a highlight, actually made Rochelle physically cry. But I'm, I'm determined. I'm not giving up. So, real men fix things. I will fix things, even if I have to fix all the things that I've broken. <laughs> so, we're, we're in Denmark. And there's a light we've just bought from the supermarket, and it's really simple, it just needs a blue and a brown, they just need to be connected into a little box. No, no exaggeration, four hours later, 
Michelle says, I can, do you want me to help? No! <laughs> because in the area you feel shame. So think of me, the shame tapes, the gremlins are playing. You're bad. You're bad. Real men can do DIY. She wants to undermine you. Push on, push on. You'll do it. You'll do it. And so then when you, then the person says, do you need help? No! I don't need help! Did that come out wrong? <laughs> and so, but four hours later she says, I, I, I can do this. Ten minutes later, it's done. I'm furious inside. Because at least if she had struggled, at least if she had struggled for an hour, I could think, you know what, I'm only... 75% incapable. But 10 minutes, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Can you see how this is all working? Shame tapes say you're not good enough. You can't admit you're not good enough. So you perform and mask and disguise to try and be worthy because you believe that worthiness is attached to practical tasks. Can you see that then if worthiness had been... If I had been successful in that moment, my worthiness would have been on the table, and then the next time I wasn't good at this, I would have felt unworthy and shame again. And so grace comes and says, you don't actually have to be what others want you to be. Grace says, is that message, Jamie, even realistic, that real men can fix things? Is that really, really, really... The only message you... Isn't there something about love? Amen. Protection, provision. It's not the only benchmark of being really masculine. Is that really realistic? Is that really what anybody else needed? Really what Rochelle really needed was we could have had four hours outside and gone for a walk <laughs> than struggling with me. Going to do this. And is that really the person I want to be? So one of the healing moments for me was trying to fix a handle on a door and the handle fell off. <laughs> and I heard God laugh. And I thought, even <laughs> you think it's funny. <laughs> Let's wrap up with the most wholehearted man who ever walked the earth. Jesus. Who, who, who clearly never he was tempted just as we are but never sinned but he could have been crippled by shame he could have been crippled by shame because he could have been crippled by the, the rumours that people had about him and the, the reality that his birth was showered, shrouded in what to many could have looked like shame Mary is pregnant before she's married. And so, Jesus has an encounter before his baptism. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased, in Luke chapter 3. He has a revelation of identity. You know, Jesus grew in these things. It says he grew in favour with God and man. has this wonderful encounter. You're my son, whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit leads him out to the desert, where he's tested and tempted for 40 days. And then he comes out of the desert, full of the Holy Spirit, and now he's going to say, I'm going to let you see my mission on the earth. I'm going to show you 
who I am. I'm going to show you what I've been called to. I'm not going to disguise. I'm not going to mask it. I'm not going to perform. I'm going to disclose who I am and why I'm on earth. I'm not going to live with my head down in this place. I'm telling you who I am. It says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. In in other words, everybody knows him. It's a small town. Jesus is an ordinary man from all intents and purposes. He's, He's not done any miracles. They just know him. This is Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. He fixes things. He mends things. He builds things. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. He says he went to his hometown where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read... And the scroll, of the, pro- um, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What? You're the carpenter's son. <laughs> You're Jesus. We know Mary. Know a bit about your past. Not good. Sometimes chat about it at the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> You're ordinary. <laughs> Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners. The recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ in his hometown. They all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips isn't this Joseph's son? They replied. They're offended. They're offended at this disclosure. You see, Jesus carries no shame. He's not hiding. He's not performing. He's not placating. He's not wearing a mask. He's not hiding anything. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'm here to open blind eyes. I'm here to open deaf eyes. I'm here to set the oppressed free, to release the prisoner. This promise that Isaiah spoke about, that the Messiah would do, it's fulfilled now. He totally lets them see who he is. He makes himself completely vulnerable. I'm going to be completely authentic with you. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to be exposed for everybody to look in at. Vulnerability literally opened him up to the possibility of being wounded, rejected, damaged, even killed. So they wanted to push him off to the hill because they couldn't cope with what he was saying about them. And he couldn't, they could not cope that these were the words coming out of Jesus, who they knew, who lived in their town. So Jesus is the greatest example of wholehearted living. A wonderful capacity to be completely seen and known for who he is. And so what now for us? And so we're called to be a people who, there's no more secrecy. That we've got people in our lives that we can open ourselves up to and be real with. Shame cannot survive when language is wrapped around it. Shame cannot survive. 
Secrecy, hiding, masking gives shame everything it needs to do to grow. Have you seen those Petri dishes in science laboratories? You put a bit of bacteria on, you leave it in the cooler, you come back, the whole thing is black and gross. Secrecy, hiding, gives shame everything it needs to grow. But the moment it comes out and you're vulnerable and authentic and let people see both who you are in what you feel is the darkest imperfections or in the most grandiose glory of what you've seen, shame cannot hide. The moment you have a trusted friend who says, you know what, you say to them, you know, I'm so terrified of failing in this new job. I so want to do well and I'm so terrified. The moment it comes out... It breaks it. But in the darkness, when all you hear is you better not fail in this job, you'll be useless and worthless as you, if you do, you're hiding it and you're secretive. But the moment it comes out and says, you know what, I'm scared of failing. I'm scared of not doing well. I'm scared of looking weak. I'm scared of being wrong. And grace also encourages you to to be bold with who you are and what you're on earth for. To grow in that favour that God has placed on you. So that who you are, you're not hiding it anymore. You're growing into it. That sense of, wow, I've been called to bring hope to nations. I've been called to heal the sick in my family. I've been called to open that thing, to do that job, to make that step, to write that book, to invite them to that meal, to cook that dinner. Grace empowers you to say, I'm going to bring that out because I'm no longer scared because I'm not wrestling or struggling or questing for a verdict because grace has convinced me I am loved just as I am. And when there's no masks and there's reality, grace flows out to other people and begins to impact other people. And that's what Jesus is doing in that scripture. He's saying, this is who I am. This is why I'm on earth. Grace is going to flow out. And for Jesus, they were offended by that. They thought, who are you to say that? And sometimes when we become who we're meant to be, it might be difficult for the people around us to accept who he has made us to be. But grace allows us to go on that journey and walk it through, to not go back down again, to be bold. Let me pray for us.